This is Tangent Party, a show about the things we get lost in. Each week, we start off with a rabbit hole that sucked us in, and then we see how many tangents we can generate. Hi, I'm your host, Kieran, and with me is the unflappable Vance. Hello. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Still torments us in our dreams. His vision still torments us. Yes. No, the reason I chose this topic is because, again, because we love pop culture, obviously. That's half our podcast at this point. And yeah. I think that Justice League uh, movie was, it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. It's the only t- tangent which we felt the need to not only dedicate basically one whole podcast to, two full podcasts to. There was something about that concept that just gripped us. I think it caused deep psychic pain in us. That's the conclusion I've come to is like Zack Snyder's vision and how he uh, continues to like mangle what could be an amazing franchise causes deep psychic pain on us. We need to like talk about it to, to get rid of, to unload the pain. Well, you nailed it, right? Because the thing about that movie is that there's real moments of brilliance in that movie. And you see them like, you know, it's almost like, oh, this bad CGI, like this muggy, bad CGI. And then every so often there's a shot that just works. You're just like, oh, man, this is why they hired him, Zack Snyder, to make these movies was scenes like this because he, he can do this stuff, right? Like he has those good visuals. And, but like these movies are so muddled. It's, it's confounding. It's, it's, it's a confounding movie. Yeah. Like, why don't you just put in just maybe 20 percent extra effort? in the story and it would, it would be like just that much more amazing of a film right because i think we know what's possible we look at marvel and we know how good that can be and then you look at like dc i'm like oh man this is such a uh, a garbled mess it's the same sentiment uh, that i had about watching dawn of the dead that's the new another Zack snyder one and i look at this movie and it's another piece of shit a dumb movie this plot makes no sense the characters make no sense but Beautiful, like visually, like extremely beautiful. And I watched uh, the making of uh, vignette. And man, this guy puts in so wow. much effort, like so much effort into making his vision a reality. Like they actually hired a company to fly a, a LIDAR across the Vegas Strip to map like every inch of that fucking strip down to like a pixel. And they essentially used that as a canvas to build the, the world in, in the digital space, right? They spend so much money on on extras, making that set feel hyper-realistic. I mean, man, if you spent a tenth of that effort on the fucking script, the movie would be, like, so much more amazing. Why can't you do it? Like, why can't you just spend one-tenth of that effort into the the story? And I think that's what bothers me deeply. Well, here's the thing, though. is like, I think everything Zack Snyder does is very intentful. Like, there's a lot of intention. There's no accents in a Zack Snyder movie. Because everything, because everything is so CGI and everything, like from what you said, like that the Vegas Strip. Who gives a shit? The Vegas Strip changes every like six months anyway. Who cares? He puts so much effort into these thoughts. The problem is he's bad at making scripts because like none of that is accidental. He knows he's terrible at script writing. Well, oh. hey, I think he thinks he's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like the scene I always want to point out. Okay, do you remember in Batman versus Superman? Mm-hmm. Where Lex mm-hmm. Luthor sends a jar of his urine to someone. Right, as, right, as, right. As a power move. The senator. Yep. Yeah, senator is a power move. That's a stupid ass scene. I've heard a lot of people shit on that scene. I still don't understand it. Like, is it the best scene? No, but is it like why do people pick on that scene? I don't get it. Because it's so fucking stupid. Because Lex Luthor is goddamn Lex Luthor. He is Superman's nemesis. Because he, he's cunning, he's evil. If he wants to intimidate a senator, he can intimidate a senator. 
But instead, he he's it's like if you're a frat boy, what's your what's your ultimate weapon? Oh, I'm gonna piss on this guy's porch. Got him. Gotcha. He basically takes the most brilliant, super genius villain and reduces him to a dumb frat boy. So that's a very astute uh, point. I, I guess I never thought of it that way. Clearly, you thought about this very deeply. I know I have, <laughs> and that's why it's my first tangent that I want to revisit because I. I don't talk about Justice League as much anymore. I feel like I actually got a lot of it out. As a whole, I think it is actually a successful Zack Snyder executed thing, which is also why you cannot allow Zack Snyder to write Superman because he does not get fucking Superman whatsoever. And I think both him and his wife have something against the Superman's character in a very like uh, idiotic way. They almost think like he's too powerful and how can we make him more human or how can we make him more vulnerable i don't get it i don't know what they're trying to do but i don't like well, it and i don't get it my theory is because like they're also very famously stout libertarians and i feel like they struggle with like i don't understand why this guy would want to be good <laughs> i do think it is their libertarian ideology they just can't get the character if you're just this powerful why would you help people you should conquer and make them better okay i got i got you so it's like it, it clashes with their worldview and sensibility so they like try to mangle it into something else and it just doesn't work for the character yes i agree all right corinne that was my first tangent i want to revisit what tangent have you been thinking about i would say the most memorable one for me is still wesley snipes and your a very pithy comment about how hollywood did him dirty i think astute is the word you're looking for astute And to this day, whenever I think of that phrase, I can't help but this chuckle to myself. And I was I was listening to it for the first time after we had recorded it. And as soon as you started talking about how Hollywood did him dirty, I'm just laughing like so hard to the point that the the tears are like running down my is running down my cheeks. And my wife is like, "Are you okay? Like, what's wrong?" Because it almost sounded like I was crying when I was like just laughing so hard. I don't even know what it was. I think it was because you were genuinely distraught that Hollywood did uh, Wesley Stipe's dirty. And just the way he said it, I think it just, it still causes me to like just laugh out, like chuckle in my head to this day. I think that's probably my favorite line that you ever said in the 20 years I've known you. I, I, honestly, that's my thesis. Wesley Stipe should be the greatest movie star. He should be The Rock. I would disagree in, in, I agree that he's a great actor. I would say that what happened to him, he did it to himself. He basically got caught for tax evasion left the country, and then nobody wanted to touch him. So he did it to himself. I, first of all, he did jail time. He didn't run away. So Wesley Snipes is clean. He, he, he did his time, goddammit. And yeah, he, cho- he made some bad choices. But like most people, he actually did his time. He's on the same level as Martha Stewart in terms of they did their time. Most people who do this stuff don't do their time. So I actually respect that. But here's another thing with Wesley Snipes, though. Blade Trinity. They did him so bad. They tried to replace Wesley Snipes with Ryan Reynolds, and I'm still mad about it. Oh, that's why they introduced the character, Ryan Reynolds' character, in the third one, right? Yes, yes. They tried to replace Wesley Snipes. Watch that movie again. Like They basically write Blade out of that movie. I'm Look, I'm a Ryan Reynolds fan. He's a Canadian. You gotta respect that. He's good Deadpool. I, I, I respect the hustle. Hollywood tried to make Ryan Reynolds happen for so many years, right? They were willing to burn... Wesley Snipes' career to try to get Ryan Reynolds as the new vampire hunter guy. Was that coinciding with Wesley Snipes like, getting in shit for tax no. evasion? Like, no. what, uh, what was the logic there? This is also one of those behind-the-scenes things, right? Where how easy Wesley Snipes was, was to work with and how there was some bad blood between the executives and Wesley Snipes, without question. Okay. 
But Blade Trinity was 100% an attempt to write Blade down and boot up the, the new character. Mm, gotcha. Basically, they were trying to either do a spinoff or they were trying to continue the franchise, but without Wesley Snipes. Yes. Because uh, it was, yeah, for whatever bla- bad blood they had. Yeah, when you're bad blood or like, this is one of those things where I need the hard hang documentary. What's going on there? That's my conspiracy theory. I know they did Wesley Snipes dirty, but how dirty was it? I really hope because there's a new Blade movie coming out. Oh, for real? Yeah, oh yeah. So the actor that won for Green Book? Yes, Maharshala Ali. So apparently the day he won, Kevin Feig, the guy who's in charge of the Marvel movies, called him up and was like, hey, congratulations. He's trying to test the waters. Like, hey, we, we'd love to work with you with something one day. Anything you'd ever be interested in? And he straight up said like, yeah, I would be very interested in a Blade movie if you ever want to make nice. a Blade movie. And that nice. I respect. Like you win an Academy Award and then and you can write your own check and you want to be Blade? I want to be Blade. Who doesn't? Because Wesley Snipes was the best Blade. He says such a good template to, to reboot that character in that mold. What an opportunity that would be. Yeah, and Mahershala Ali has, has the right vibe like Wesley Snipes had. But not, Wesley Snipes was not, was not a good guy, but he wasn't a bad guy either. He was like in between worlds. He was on the, on the fence, right? I think that's what made the Blade character so edgy, right? And so interesting because he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. He wasn't in there to like win points or win fans. He was just there for one thing. Which is to kill fucking vampires. That's it. That's right. Shit about anything else. So I think Marshall Ali would be actually a really good choice because he has that edgy vibe about him. And I hope Marvel does the right thing because, like, that original Blade movie, like, it, yes, it was a Marvel thing, but it was way before Marvel Studios and stuff. That movie, if you want, very visit, which I did this week, by the way, it, like, it has the same vibe of the Marvel movie. Like, it, it nails the character and it does a really good job of like what people about Blade and just follow off a lot of the garbage and just like get laser focus on why the character works but still throwing some weird shit because comic books are weird. And that's what people like about them, right? That's what I love about that. And I, I really hope they bring Wesley Snipes back, either as like the new Whistler or make him the villain. Just get do Wesley Snipes right, man, because he got done dirty so many times. <laughs> All right. That's uh, probably a good place to stop on that topic. So what's your second um, favorite tangent we went on? So I kind of want to revisit Woodstock 99. And just as a recap, this was a tangent where I'd gone down, where I started reading about famously failed concerts and in that time first of all i talked to the, the main kickoff was like talking reviewing the ultimate free concert because that was a very amazing amazing concert and failure that's that's the one with the hell's angels and the roy stones cost for a guy get stabbed the end of the hippie movement some people say and, and that's what kicked off essentially what we know today as modern day concerts right the yes. protection around the modern day concerts and that's what's so interesting about because like Woodstock 97 and 99, especially 99, I know 22 years ago feels like a long time ago, but it's not that long, right? But different reality. Pre-9-11, like you would never go to a concert. Even, even 99, which was like where they tried to lock down, it was done in such an incompetent way. It actually caused things to be worse. But it, it really is from a, a, a completely different generation. Like they don't do public events like this because they can't. Ignoring the COVID thing, they, there's so many reasons why this stuff doesn't work anymore. And it didn't work at the time, but it's just this amazing failure of, of an event. The thing about Woodstock 99, I have a lot of personal connection to it because at the time, I was 14 years old when, that, when, when Woodstock 99 came out and I was born in my grandparents' basement watching it. And watching that in real time, it felt like the internet. Because TV back then was very locked down, right? Like very, very locked down. Live stuff was was all, always went successfully. Most stuff was repeats. But Woodstock 99 was on much music and they were doing it really live. And it fell apart in such a way 
that literally the DJs, so like the people they sent down, Ed the Sock, they sent down there, they were like, this is crazy that we're here and we're broadcasting this because things are not okay. Yeah. So you had, you had talent on live TV, so truly live TV, broadcasting how they feel unsafe about the situation. And maybe uh, people ordering us, because they didn't do that for, for any of the wars, because they, they locked that shit down. I think the Vietnam stuff was like, in terms of like people broadcasting out as they're basically fleeing, fleeing the compounds. Like that's yep. something that happened in the 90s. Like stuff was so stable at that time. It's very much like watching one of those reporters go to a hurricane uh, special yes. where they're like in the hurricane and yes. the wind is blowing and they're holding on to their cap and they're yelling into the mic. Sort of the same shit sounds like it was happening at Woodstock 99. And except, but instead of being a hurricane, it was a Limp biscuit set. <laughs> I would say my favorite part about that episode was just, I think, how well researched it was. And I think how well you rode the balance between not too much detail, but just enough detail that was like actually interesting where I'm like, oh shit, I'm actually like legitimately interested in this story because it's so fascinating. I would have never thought that it had such an ending. So I think it was a really well told story so i definitely agree that it is yeah for sure one of my favorite episodes as well and i think it actually probably is one of our most listened to episodes as well if i'm not mistaken the one thing that bums me out so we do pre-record these shocking i know but <laughs> the thing about it was that the documentary about woodstock 99 came out a couple weeks before after we recorded it before we published it so instead of having this like Again, this matters to no one, but to be except to me, because damn, God damn it, I broke the story of this documentary that was in review for like five years. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it seems like it was one of those stories that just is, is too real. Like, it's too real. And you're going, whoa, well, this, this shit actually happened in real life. That's amazing. Yes. that And a lot of people were hurt there, but like, it's also one of those things like, it's a miracle more people weren't hurt. It's yeah. definitely one of those stories. And the other thing, the reason I was thinking about recently is, Limp Bizkit just dropped the new album. What? They're still active? They're still active. Oh my God. Who's who, who's listening to Limp Bizkit? Is it like people our age who like yeah, grew up listening to them? It's tired, tired, tired dads. <laughs> tired late 30s dads. Like, yeah, man, I want to live my glory days. And I would say, I'm not going to say this is a great album. It's definitely the best thing Limp Bizkit has done since the 90s. I'll, that's all I'm going to say. This is definitely, wow. hands down, the best album Limp Bizkit has put out for a long time. And this is the original crew, like including Fred Durst and... Yeah, Fred, Fred Durst, Wes Borland, you nailed them. And the album's called Limp Bizkit Still Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a high level of self-awareness. Yes. Very meta. 100%. And what the way, look, I'm not going to say Limp Bizkit... This is the best Limp Bizkit you can imagine happening in 2021. Like, again, again, like, yeah, this is like a more mature Limp Bizkit who knows who they are, who has had some hard life lessons. And they're like, what? This is what we are. This is what we're going to put out. Let's see what happens. Exactly. And again, I recommend you just listen to the first three songs of that album. You're just like, oh, yeah, Limp Bizkit. Nothing is as good as because, again, I hope you're not in the same mindset as you were when you were like 19. But this is as good as Limp Bizkit probably ever was. I'm just right. not that person anymore. And right. they know it too. That's the thing that I love about them. They, yeah, they've accepted who they are and they're not trying to be anything different. And I think there is a certain amount of, not pride, there's a similar, certain amount of peace with that. If they've made their peace with it. And it's like when somebody with like, you know, who's overweight or maybe yeah. who's, who's like maybe not the most attractive, just 
say to themselves, well, this is who I am. I'm okay with it. I'm totally comfortable with this. It sounds like maybe that's where Limp Bizkit are as a band right now. Exactly. They embrace what made them great in the first place. And when I say great, there's some real sneer quotes around it. <laughs> but it's still accurate. Big part of our youth. No say what you want about Limp Bizkit, and I will. Big part of our youth. Let's face it. They were featured on the cover song or cover of Mission Impossible 2, or I think 3. I mean, that that's how... That was the height of Limp Bizkit. Like, they were getting featured in a Mission Impossible film. So, like, at one point, yeah, they were a cultural icon, no matter how much they got shit on. Just like uh, everybody's favorite Canadian band, country rock band that people love to shit on, right? Nickelback. Like, you can shit on them all you want, but at, at the end of the day, they were like a cultural icon. They made more money than you could ever imagine. Like, bands cannot make as much money as those bands made. Because it's like bands just can't get that big anymore. You can have like three people who get that big, but like no, no single band can get that big anymore because it's too distributed now. So that's my tangent I want to revisit. What's your next tangent you want to revisit? I would say my next one is the gun kata uh, from the Christian Bale movie, Equilibrium. Oh, Purely because I was just so pleasantly surprised when I made that reference of gun kata and you knew exactly what I was talking about. Like without skipping a beat, like there was no pauses. There was no like, oh, what, what, what's a gun cat? You just knew you didn't skip a beat. And I think it was just like very pleasantly surprised because it, it probably is one of my most favorite ridiculous concepts in a movie that, that you could have like some sort of karate moves infused with a gunplay and create a new form of martial arts that's known as gun kata. I think it's the hubris of the idea. It's the hubris that you can combine gunplay with karate and call it like gun kata and not even like skip a beat and like be serious about it. Okay, just the thing about Equilibrium that's so effing interesting about that movie is one, gun kata is ridiculous. But remember, Equilibrium came out in 2002. So it came out after The Matrix. Right. So The Matrix, that shit's gun kata. That's you know? true. That's a very good point. I never thought of that. Yes. So the thing I love about that concept, because you're right, it's so ridiculous. But at the same time, John Wick is gun kata. Also very true. It's just so funny to take this concept, which is in the movies, and give it a name and to like, <laughs> stick it out there. At the same time, like, yeah, that is basically John Wick. He's doing gun kata. And you know, that's true. And they, they say it so seriously. What I mean, like, it's like it's presented as a, as a serious concept, whereas it's been around for a while. It's nothing new, but they put a name to it and they, you know, packaged it as, as a concept rather than the Matrix, where it was like assumed or it was like they never named it, but that's what they're actually doing. And it's, it's funny to think about because that's not that long ago, but it's actually a long time ago. It's 19 years ago. And it was like, it was this weird thing of we're going to take 1984. Because nowadays, like 1984, I mean, people say this is like well, 1984 is like this is like Orwellian. Like this is, is it's, it's such a tire. Like people want me my vaccine. It's 1984 all over again, right? Like there's a whole lot of talk about that. But 2002, no one was fucking talking about 1984 in terms of like everyone was talking about the terrorists, different world. Like in fact, they're like give us more government surveillance. And this movie comes out of like, why do we have this this horrible government dictatorship? And then and Christian Bale uses gun kata to take it down. I love it. I mean, still, like, an excellent movie. I, I've watched it a couple of times. And it's aged, actually, surprisingly well. I think it's better now uh, than it was at the time, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I, I actually never made the connection that it came out right after 2001. So it was 
a very much a, a movie of its time in that it's influenced by the matrix by 9 11 and 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 the movie v for vendetta right so i think it, it blends all three in uh, and does actually a pretty good job it's still an enjoyable movie it still makes sense it, maybe nothing groundbreaking but still a, a, a well-made enjoyable movie absolutely it hits way above its weight in terms of significance yeah and and i think that's probably a large part of because it's how, how how christian bale is such a intense actor right and he commits 120 percent to whatever he does so that that in itself i think it elevates your movie even if you have like a weak script or not an yeah. original script i think he nailed too it was so self-serious that movie only works because there's no sense of irony in that movie whatsoever. That's right. That's right. I think that's right. They take it so seriously. And I think that's why that's why it stuck with me so so much. Is because like they, they take this ridiculous concept so seriously. And the fact that you just didn't skip a beat when I mentioned it. Like you knew exactly what I was talking about. And like nobody knows what fucking Gunkata is. Like it's just an obscure reference, right? I'm always thinking about Gunkata. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> All right, so what's uh, what's your third one? I'm sad to have to revisit it. And that is NFTs. God damn it. I was praying the NFTs would just die a horrible death because it's such a crazy concept. And I, so I feel NFTs a lot. I'm so, I'm so, I basically have to like, I stopped going on TikTok because I don't know what it is with the algorithm, but they think I love NFTs on that fucking website. I don't know why. They come, that app comes up all the time. Like there must be a paid advertisement or something like that or has flagged me as an NFT guy, but it drives me crazy. I never watch the videos. It always comes up because I hate them. I hate how much people love them. I hate how much money's in on them. And they've only gone stupider as time has gone. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things because crypto in general has been around for a while. And when it first came out like 10, 30 years ago, it was like a, a curiosity to watch, but it's gotten stronger and stronger. And I think NFT is like the like the offshoot of Bitcoin, right? And blockchain. And I think nobody expected Bitcoin to be around. And and I think what infuriates you is the fact that not only is it around, but now it has offshoots in the form of even more ridiculous things like NFTs. And there's two things that piss me off about NFTs. Well, well, three things. So one, the thing that pisses me off currently is there's so much money in now. I don't think it's going away. I think we're stuck with these stupid things. Two, it is like the thing I hate about capitalism or like not even cable capitalism what i hate about big money is you're buying things that they have no value simply because you can buy them and then and since people are willing to buy them it gives them value Ah, uh, okay i think that's where you have it wrong it's are you specifically referring to nfts when you say that they have no value the idea of someone buying a picasso uh painting and then sticking in the basement simply because that you want to own a picasso painting so the idea of buying things that rare things and then hide them away so they because they are rare that bugs me and NFTs are this weird natural evolution of like now i'm just gonna buy things that actually have no inherent value and say they have value and my act of buying them gives them value that drives me you, you're talking you're talking you're describing basically mo modern monetary policy you're basically talking about money like the only reason money has value is because we all agree to the collective delusion that that money has value you're so right. nfts aren't any different um so i don't know why different. specifically more choked about nfts as opposed to money it's the power aspect of nfts that drive me insane like the power consumption yes they have undone any green effort that bitcoin alone has undone any any of our green initiatives in the last 10 years 
Like they are literally fucking killing us. Tesla's buying in Bitcoin probably did more damage to the environment. Any any goodness that they ever did with their electric cars undone probably at least five times over because of the environmental impact of, of the Bitcoin. Because all it does is you're literally just heating up computers to process the thing. Like it is wasted power. And people say, oh, it's all green technology. I'm like, you are naive or you don't want to think about things because this stuff is all being done places where it is, is burning non-renewable power. Ideally, if you want to actually like do Bitcoin, if, if you want to make big money in Bitcoin or any of this shit, you're not, you're not fucking doing it in like a place with emission controls. You're doing it somewhere there's very low emission controls in some fucking coal plant and you're literally burning coal to generate something that does nothing but people buy, therefore, it's kind of value to it. Yeah, Bitcoin basically has value because people need to be compensated for solving this stupid algorithm. And the only way they're going to be compensated is by this uh, digital token, which really holds no value, apart from the fact that people ascribe a certain value to it and they're willing to pay for it, right? With their hard-earned um, dollars. Or your uh, money laundering dollars. Sometimes you got you have a lot of money. And Bitcoin is great for that. No, no, I, I agree. I think every new technology has downsides, right? I mean, it's no different from when the steam engine was first invented and the first industrial. You are wrong about right? that. People keep I'm not wrong. That, that you are wrong. Bitcoin I'm not wrong about that. Like look at what happened in London where it was a completely smog filled. It was you know, cities were dirty, polluted, and eventually they brought in regulation to clean things up. Any new industry has these kinds of issues where eventually they need to be regulated so that it's actually safe or fit for consumption. No, fuck that shit. The industrial revolution, say what you want with industrial revolution, it changed the it changed production rates. It, gave, it produced a lot of things. Yes, you are right. It did all those horrible things. The human environmental cost of the industrial revolution is huge. You are saying someone fucking buying a paid 10K for a monkey JPEG is worth, is worth all the, the environmental harm that they are doing for this? That's insane. I, I disagree. It's a natural evolution, right? Like, how is digital art any less worthy than an art that's been painted on a canvas? I don't think they're any different. Like you, Ooh. you're somehow you're you're adding a judgment value and saying somehow a physically painted canvas is somehow inherently more valuable than some guy spending ten hours creating a monkey gif. And ultimately, value is in the eye of the beholder. It doesn't really matter what you think of it. This is the exact opposite of what the internet was supposed to be about. Once again, like, who are you to say what the internet is supposed to be about? The internet I, doesn't belong to anybody. Yes, but the whole the whole concept of these fucking NFTs is the internet's blowing one. We're going to say the internet belongs to certain people. I, I disagree. I don't see how NFTs say that. That's literally what they say. JPEG, this, I have this JPEG monkey. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's on the internet. It's free. NFTs are literally like this JPEG of the monkey. I own it. It's not free. I own it. Well, if you own it, then NFTs are a way to get value for your art. I mean, if some idiot is willing to pay a bunch of coins for what's a public property, then that's that guy's an idiot. Yeah, like, I agree. And that's the Ponzi scheme. And then we're also going to burn burn two acres of the Amazon and make it happen. That's what a fucking NFT is. If you really want to make an impact on the world, like stop fucking eating meat and stop having kids, man. Don't b blame NFTs. Oh, the, like I'll tell you this right you now. Wanna, you want to talk? You want to say the world of different conversation? But NFTs are the height of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. I, I I would like to see some data. I would like to see what the percentage breakdown is in terms of energy consumed by NFTs and Bitcoin as a percentage uh, of total carbon emitted worldwide. Like you know, I want to understand how they compare to like carbon emissions from cars 
industries, agribusiness, like all that stuff. I bet it's like less than a percent. Bitcoin itself takes more power than all large Tina, right? So yes, we've talked about that. Okay, so that makes sense. That's a large amount of uh, power. But I want to understand what the carbon emissions are related to that energy consumption as a percentage of, the, of all the other industries. That's what really matters. Are you saying that Bitcoin is as valuable as driving a car? What I'm saying is that you're unfairly maligning a, an industry. What in per percentage of emissions it contributes overall? Like, what about the other industries? Like, why are you focusing uh, on crypto? I, why are you not focusing on overfishing? Why are you not over focusing on carbon pollution from, from cars? Or that the Amazon uh, rainforest is getting burned down because farmers want a more arable land? Like, those are, I think, the higher priority items. There's no inherent value to any of this stuff. It's just the it's just the Ponzi scheme, money laundering thing for people to waste people that you waste money or hide money on. That's all it is. That's all this whole thing is. Or to speculate on with no value. It has no purpose. It has no value. Situation or fishing or fishing brings people protein. See, this is the problem with the world, man. Nobody wants to change their lifestyle. Nobody wants to change their lifestyle. Nobody wants to say, nobody wants to say, what, I'm going to be a vegetarian and I'm going to reduce the impact I have on the environment. Nobody says, what, I'm going to have less kids and reduce the carbon impact. They're like, they just shit on other industries. This is a common theme. Like nobody wants to take responsibility. It's easier to blame someone else or another industry than take personal responsibility, man. No, I disagree with that. Like, you're, 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 see, this is this is the common anti all these stupid things. Like, yeah, I'm doing this like super stupid. I'm not saying that you're doing this. That's not my point. But like, the idea is like, yeah, this thing is awful. But look at this. It's also bad. Isn't it crazy? Or I'm saying like, what you're doing is wasteful, destructive no purposeful and literally taking something that I liked and destroying it. And, and then you're turning around saying, but look, there's murders in Asia. It's, it's not, that's not the conversation. I mean, like this thing is bad. It's wasteful. It has no value beyond. It literally does not, has no reason to exist. It exists because people want to speculate and make money off it. But don't you think that's exactly what was said about the internet when it first was invented? People like, oh, why no. the fuck would I want to talk to somebody? Why would I want to serve the web? Why, why would I want to like, you know, talk to somebody across the, across the globe? See, this is actually the thing that offends me the most. That's not what people said about the internet. People said, this is amazing. It's open. It's free. And NFTs are the opposite of everything the internet is. Okay, okay, first of all, you and I weren't there where the internet was invented. So you don't really know what the controversy was there. Maybe maybe there were Luddites who were like, oh, why do I need the internet? But I can just go to the post office and drop my mail. I don't need to email anybody. I'll write them a letter. There's always Luddites and naysayers who, who dislike when a new technology is created and point out all the flaws. Like You could make the same argument about the internet. When I went to the internet in the late 90s, Young Vance was like, this is awesome. But I bet your parents thought the internet wasn't the greatest because you were looking for... No, no, here's the... I went on the internet and I said, I want a picture of Goku. And they gave me Goku. I'm like, this is awesome. And now, what AFT is like, this picture of Goku is awesome. And now some motherfucker shows up as like, I paid 10 grand, a picture of Goku, it's my picture of Goku, not yours. And, and you can take a screenshot and tell the guy to fuck off. Exactly. But this guy says, that, no, I own it. They told me I own it. And I okay. hate that. Why do you hate it? They're selling it's, people the concept of ownership or something they don't own. And they're wasting a lot of power, a lot of energy to do so. Okay, so I agree that uh, fundamentally that with NFTs, even if you own an NFT, 
the original creator still owns the original original. No, it's fuck like that. It's, I right click and I save it on my hard drive. I own that. I own your NFT. Totally. Totally. So as personally, I would never invest in NFTs. Like it makes no yeah. sense to me. I, but but once saying, again, I think, but once again, I think a lot of these things are foundational technologies for something in the next 20 years that you and I can't predict. That's all these are. It might sound stupid too, just like LimeWire and Kazaa. And I've made this argument several times to you, right? 20 years ago, nobody knew LimeWire and Kazaa were going to end up being Spotify or Netflix. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen. And I don't know what that shape or form is going to be, but maybe it's going to be a way to authenticate art in real life. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like they're trying to monetize gatekeeping. That That's not untrue. I agree. And, and, and they want to burn down half the Amazon and do so. This is, uh, first of all, the people who are burning down the Amazon are the Brazilian farmers. It's not fucking Bitcoin, so stop making that. I'm burning a fucking coal plant in Mongolia with no scrubbers on to, to monetize this fucking uh, picture Goku. <laughs> Mongolia needs some 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 carbon pollution. They need more, they need more pictures of Goku than Mongolia I, needs. I do think you're focusing on the wrong things. I, I, no, I, I think this is misplaced. I think this is misplaced frustration. On, no, what frustration is fucking Reese Witherspoon. Just to date the podcast, quote how much she thinks there should be more women in NFTs today, and I just wanted to drive into the country and disappear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, that's just an idiotic comment by a, a Hollywood celebrity, but uh, it. it, it yeah, it's like, oh, God. But, here, but the energy is misplaced. You keep talking about how, you know, we're burning out half the Amazon to keep uh, the fucking NFTs and the Bitcoin running. And this is my point to you. It's not the Bitcoin or the blockchain that's burning out half the Amazon. It's people okay. burning out half the Amazon because fucking Bolsario is incentivizing farmers to burn down the Amazon so they can grow more fucking crop and more cattle and more beef. That's okay. what's really happening. I apologize for my analogy. People are burning coal. Like they're burning coal. Burn, they tried to monetize burning coal. Like you understand, you're burning non-renewable. Like you're wasting energy to do this. They don't think about the cost of energy. And it's it has cost and it has value. And it, we're wasting on stupid shit like this. Because this is okay. shit. That I agree. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that as a caveat, that China was already putting up like one coal-fired power plant a week before NFTs or crypto showed up. So they're already yeah. doing it. So it's not like uh, internet technology has somehow led more coal-fired uh, power plants to, to pop up. It was always happening and regardless. Wrong. Okay, look, one, they have to do, that's that people, one, that was never true. It hasn't been true for a long time. But like, without question, people are explicitly keeping coal power plants running to mine Bitcoin. Like this stuff takes energy. It puts carbon in the air. There's no abstract about this. At Argentina, puts carbon in the air. Having a second Argentina beside it, making Bitcoin, doubles doubles it. It is harming yeah. us, doing damage, and fair enough, nothing of value. But what? Okay, so I disagree that it's producing nothing of value. And two, I would like to know what is that as a percentage of global emissions? Because I think there are bigger fish to fry. No, it's too much. Okay. I, I think we'll have to agree to disagree. Uh, I, I think leave it at that. What's your last tangent? Okay, my last one is something I think both of us can agree on. It's actually Ed the Sock. And the reason <laughs> why it's so memorable for me, I think is because I did not know who Ed the Sock was or is. 
And I was genuinely perplexed by this character. And then the more I learned about it, the more I'm like, oh, man, basically the concept was ripped off by the dog guy. by He stole his bit. Yeah, Triumph, the insult comic dog, basically ripped off Ed the Sock. And it was a nice piece of, like, Canadiana that I didn't know about. And and the fact that we, like, tweeted at Ed the Sock and he tweeted back at us. And I think you said you were thunderstruck. I was starstruck. Jimmy Lowe starstruck. Because, like, Ed the Sock is funny. Because, like, people, look, I think Ed the Sock, he's not his glory days. But, like, I don't know. I don't think he's been that bad either. But I think it's, like. He is a true Canadian icon, and he should be. A, he should take the queen off, put Ed the sock on, because he's had more <laughs> impact on this generation than the queen has. I'll say that. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, even my wife, she was like blown away that Ed the sock like tweeted at us. So I guess it's a fundamental part of millennials' psyche. The thing, the thing with Ed the sock that's so unique to Canada was not export anywhere else. It's one of those things that. The second you hit that border, Ed the Sox stops. He never went beyond, right? Like, he, he wasn't Drake. He wasn't Ryan Reynolds. Like minor celebrities that got big late elsewhere. He was this comic icon that for whatever reason could never break out. Like, I don't know if he was trying to or whatever. He stayed 100% in the Canadian ecosystem. Except when Trump didn't sell comic dog, copied him. And it was all over Conan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He could have broken big. That's the thing. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why he's bitter. Well, look, and, his whole bit was he was bitter. So it's a hard thing, right? I think he's just living the bit a little bit more. That's right. And I think what, what caught me about that topic was, uh, I think there was like two podcasts I had listened to coincidentally back to back that were like shitting on Ed the Sock about how he was like this bitter old guy who basically could, who, whose jokes and tweets weren't really funny, who hadn't really aged well. And uh, who who basically was maybe a relic of his time, right? And I think that's what sort of piqued my interest. I'm like, who the fuck is this Ed the Sock guy? And I think it just generated this like big conversation and a trip down memory lane for you, I suppose. I apologize, Ed the Sock. Do you think Ed the Sock's kind of like Jamie Candy? Hmm, that's a good question. Because they both in that, their time. Yeah, in that, in that they're both sort of trying to hang on to the vestiges of their fame, but they're largely irrelevant. Well, it's like they're relevant now, but and Jim Kennedy was obviously more successful, but like he's also American, so that would hold against Ed the Sock. But like they captured a perfect moment for the Zeitgeist. Yeah. And, but if for whatever reason. He, but weren't able to sustain it. Yes. And I'm not saying anything is their fault either, right? Like that's our video about Ed the Sock. I was like, I don't think Ed the Sock necessarily did anything wrong. I think he was just the right person at the right time. And. For whatever reason, he never had an opportunity to pivot to another thing. And, and I think that's it. He didn't do anything wrong, except that he did not, he was not able to build on his platform of fame and evolve into something else, right? Because a lot of these, a lot of these celebrities who sort of capture the lightning in a, in, in a bottle, they, you're right, they capture the zeitgeist of the time. They do it really well. And once that's done, they're not able to, move on to the next zeitgeist or they're not able to pivot to the next thing that will keep them in, in public's eye, right? And it's very difficult to do it. I, I think the older I get, the more I'm realizing how difficult it is as a celebrity, as an actor, as an artist to stay relevant and to stay in people's radar, right? And I think that's what happens to these guys is they're not able to, either they're not creative enough, they're not lucky enough, or they're not interested 
in continuing to, and, and who knows, right? Maybe they just want to do their own thing and they don't care what the zeitgeist is. They want to do just their own thing. And what they want to do is maybe not necessarily very popular. So then they sort of fade out of the, the mainstream media's attention, right? And I think that's what happens to a lot of these celebrities. So, yeah. So I'll say about Howard Stern lately. Okay. Because they were basically doing the same because Ed Stubbs, Ed Stubbs had a show and he had a hot tub where, where babes would be keys would be in and like, like, like that was his show, right? Like he was basically doing a Howard Stern bit. And whereas Ed saw kind of fades to relevancy, Howard Stern also fades to relevancy, but is also a cajillionaire and pulls like $10 million a year from a internet radio contract. I think there is a lot to be said of luck and opportunity because Howard Stern. Maybe Howard Stern is just a better businessman and maybe Ed the Sock isn't. Well, yeah. And but at the same time, like at Howard Stern, say what you want about him. Like I'm pretty neutral on Howard Stern. I think he was okay, but not, he was never that good. But he had some good bits, but not never that good. That's my review of Howard Stern. But he was also the most popular DJ in, in New York when, when internet radio, when, so when satellite radio came around, they needed a big hit, right? Whereas like, Ed Sock was another media personality in Toronto. Like, he's a small fish, maybe big fish, small pond. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. Howard Stern was like a pretty big fish in the biggest pond at the That's time. That's true. That's true. So, Ed Sock could have like moved to the US or whatever, right? To like sort of build a brand there and sort of capitalize on that fame or something. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And maybe he didn't want to do that. So, that's part of it as well. Well, the other thing too is it's like, imagine a radio, imagine caring about a radio DJ. Yeah, like I don't, I don't understand why Howard Stern has such a, a staying power. Just like I don't understand Joe Rogan. I don't get Joe Rogan. Yeah, I don't understand why he's so popular and why he's like. I guess his video podcast like two hours long. I'm like, who the fuck has the time to watch a fucking two hour long podcast? Like a video podcast, much less. I don't get those guys. So you're right. I don't know why they were so famous. Well, you just capture his eye, guys. Did Joe Rogan could like say, look, I listen to Joe Rogan. I don't have anything against Joe Rogan. Feels like. He's a dude, loves to get high. He's an okay interviewer, but he's also popular enough that he gets weird people. I get that in the face. He's a pothead who gets weird people. And I do like how insane he is, but I don't think he's that great of an interviewer. But like, he's 100% like Fear Factor. He, he was a known name, very popular reality show. So he, he could draw big names, like draw an audience. And then that, that's been self-sustained. That's my Joe Rogan review. First of all, I didn't even know he hosted uh, Fear Factor, but that's, you're right. So he's famous enough that other famous celebrities will come on a show and it creates this flywheel effect, right? Where it, it gets bigger and bigger. Because if you're a big celebrity, why the fuck are you going to go on some podcast unless you already know this person who's sort of famous enough and has a big platform? So, and I think that just grows exponentially as the bigger celebrities he gets. And I'll say what you do. So I lived in Edmonton for a while. Gardner Andrews was the name of the morning DJ and he was the best morning DJ I've ever, I've ever heard. Like he's heads above Howard Stern, Joe Rogan, everyone. Incredible interviewer, fun, consistently funny, very good. You've never heard of this guy, right? No, I have no idea who he is. You want to know why? Because he had the morning show in fucking Edmonton. Like, <laughs> how do you break out of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to make some real changes. It's like, if you want to be in oil patch, you got to be in Calgary or Houston. If you want to work in tech, you probably got to be in like Seattle or San Francisco. Otherwise, you're just a uh, obscurity. I agree. Agreed. That's a interesting thought. I think what sacrifices you're willing to make for your career and for your fame and how much luck plays into that. Well, I percent because like Gar Anders could go to Toronto. They could have gone to American market. He could have gone up, but like, they need to have an opportunity, right? 
he chose to stay in Edmonton, and he's probably happy. no one chooses to stay in Edmonton. Let's make that clear. <laughs> All right, with with that, we should probably call an end to the show. So this is going to be the easiest tangent party wrap up ever. Absolutely. We defined the topics ahead of time and we knew exactly what we we're going to be talking about. Okay. So to recap, Vance, what were your top three topics for the year? So my three tangents, which I revisit constantly in my brain, constantly, have been Justice League, Woodstock 99, and how wrong Karina is about NFTs. For me, the three tangents that have stuck with me over the last two years are Hollywood doing Wesley Snipes dirty, the Gunkata concept from Equilibrium, and then everyone's favorite Canadian pseudo-celebrity, Ed DeSock. Well, with that, let's wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to the season finale of Tangent Party. Drop us a line at tangentparty.yyc at gmail.com with your thoughts, ideas, feedback, or if you just want to say hello, follow us on Twitter at Tangent Party to get the latest updates. And as always, you can listen to all our previous episodes at tangentparty.com or on your favorite podcast app. This is Kieran signing off. This is Dan signing off. Boom. <laughs>